Greetings, you are listening to Cantus Firmus, and I am Cody Cook. I'm a couple days out from um, the, the uh, uh, C-section that we've got scheduled for my wife to deliver our second baby, a girl, and so we're super excited about that, and I know that I'm going to be uh, very busy once she gets here, uh, but I didn't want to uh, stop putting out stuff, so um, I've recorded a few things ahead of time, and I also wanted to put out a couple uh, a couple things where I ended up, where I was uh, guesting on other podcasts recently, and this was a conversation I had on the Failed Kingdoms podcast. You can actually watch the video uh, by looking it up on YouTube. Uh, Failed Kingdoms is the uh, YouTube profile that posted it, and the uh, the title of the video is A Conversation with Matthew Stefano and Cody Cook, and this was a really actually interesting conversation. Um, Basically, uh, Matt Stefano is somebody who I was familiar with because he's on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and I had interacted with um, a, an episode they had done about the canon that I that I thought had some some errors, and had done a podcast about that a few years ago. Um, and uh, my friend Ari, who's the host of Failed Kingdoms, was bringing on Matt to interview him about his. Uh, perspective on homosexuality, and Matt is a more progressive Christian, so he, he holds a you know very affirming view on that topic. So, uh, just a little bit before this thing was supposed to go live, um, Ari sent me a message and asked if I wouldn't mind coming on to help ask questions because um, I think Ari was a little bit agnostic on the subject, and he knew that I you know took a more traditional view, and uh, I guess he wanted to sort of get um, you know stronger pushback, I suppose, as far as the questions that would be asked so that they would, um, you know, really bring out um, Matt's views. So, uh, so this was, I really had just a few hours to prepare. I uh, went ahead and looked at a few blog articles that Matt DiStefano had written, and I also got a hold of his book, which is called Heretic, and the subtitle is An LGBTQ Affirming Divine Violence. Hold on having trouble getting this to pop up. LGBTQ affirming divine violence denying Christian universalists responses to some of evangelical Christianity's most most pressing concerns. And that book is on Amazon uh, and it's actually pretty cheap if, if you're interested in getting a hold of it on Kindle. So so I was, I was there to uh, you know ask Matt some questions. Now I guess what I didn't realize um, uh, he didn't say anything to Matt about me coming on. Which shouldn't have been, I guess, that big of a deal because there's normally a second co-host on the Field Kingdoms podcast, and Matt was there to, uh, you know, ask questions or answer, you know, answer questions about his view. Um, but I think when Matt kind of popped on and realized that I was the same Cody who had um, uh, critiqued Heretic Happy Hour in the past, I think it gave him the impression that I was there to be more hostile. Um, and I, you know, reassured him before he started to record, before he went live, that I was really just there to help ask questions. I wasn't there to be hostile or anything like that. And um, after the conversation was over, Matt said um, that he thought it was a good conversation, kind of a model conversation for the kinds of um, the way that, you know, more conservative and more progressive Christians should be talking about this issue. So though, though I think Matt was, was put off at first by my, my being there, he was happy with, um, with how the conversation went, as was I. Um, if I could um, redo it again, if I had a little more time, I probably would have pushed on the things that um, maybe differentiate me from the more traditional um, understanding, I guess, of this topic, because I think the traditional view is associated with homophobia, with trying to get the, the state involved in uh, punishing or criminalizing or delegitimizing uh, gay relationships. Um, with, you know, um, kicking your, your gay kids out of the house when they come out, stuff like that. And so that's something that I, I, I guess I wish I had more time to strongly push back against, um, because this is ultimately something that I think scripture has a, a clear point of view on. And so I'm obligated to explain that point of view as somebody who takes scripture seriously, but it's ultimately a discipleship question. It's a question for, um, the kind of sexual ethic that Christians should be living out, not, um, you know, what we should be forcing on, on others. So that's, I guess, pretty much all I want to say about the, about this before we get into it. Um, 
but I think it was a, a, a pretty good conversation. It's something, a topic I haven't talked a lot about because it is one of those sticky things that is tough, I think, to get just right because it's such an emotional issue. But when I was asked to uh, explain what I thought the Bible said about the topic, I, I was willing to do so. So uh, hope hope you enjoy it. And um, if you have any pushback for me, please give it. I'm, I'm open to, to hearing any of that. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Feld Kingdoms uh, podcast. This is now currently streaming on YouTube and on Facebook. So make sure you uh, reshare, you share the, you share the video because it's going to be a good discussion. Uh, today with me, we have a good friend of mine. His name is Cody Cook. He is a writer and um, and founder of Cantus Firmus. He's also an author. He's written a couple books, and we also have. Matthew DeStefano, who's also a blogger and also a, you've written four books, four books as of now, right? Uh, seven. But seven, oh, seven yeah. books, all right. Yeah. And so he's the, uh, he's the big, the big guest for today. So make sure you share it, you like it, you like it, and you subscribe to the YouTube channel because we love to have these type of open dialogues and discussions. So basically what we're going to be doing today, this is how it's going to happen. Matthew is going to be giving... I guess a case for the permissibility of homosexuality within Christ, like within a Christian ethic, and me and Cody will probably at some point in time be asking questions or clar- questions or clarification, and so we'll just keep the ball rolling like that. So, without further ado, let me hold on. Hold on. Matthew, you can go ahead and begin. So, where would you uh, like to start off with this? Oh. um, yeah, it's 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 kind of one of those things that it's kind of hard to uh, decide where to start. Mm. I think with a lot of people, they start with the Bible. I I personally don't start there any longer, though I understand the propensity to do so. Um, I I start with listening and getting to know people who don't have the same attraction as I do. So, for instance, I, I I'm married to a woman. I don't know what it's like to be gay, for instance. Um, so I, I start with listening to folks who are gay and what their experience is like, um, what their struggles are, what they faced in the church and in society, um, more, more broadly speaking. Um, and and to me that, that just, it puts me in a, in a posture of empathy. And, and I think when we start with something like the Bible, we can, um, fall prey to, wielding it as if it is some sort of weapon if that makes sense mm-hmm. and i and i know not all christians do that I'm, I'm not suggesting that but it but it it lends itself to that happening so that that's just where i start i start by listening and and asking myself what would it be like if i were a gay man what were what, what would it be like if i instead of being attracted to women i was attracted to men and that's just what i knew about myself whether I chose and not choosing it. Right. So, so gay people will tell you this is not a choice. It's just something I know. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something, it's not like picking hamburger or chicken at the restaurant. It's like, it's, it's, it's in the same way. If you're attracted to a woman, it's the same way you didn't choose that. If that, if that, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that's where I start. If, if we go the biblical route, um, I, I would I would always want to ask the historical context. I, I don't think from all of my studies, um, looking at ancient uh, cultures and texts, more like a historian rather than an, an apologetics sort of thing, I, I don't see that as something that is even discussed in the Bible in the way we discuss it now. We don't talk we don't hear talk in the Bible about sexual orientations. We don't talk about loving partnerships and then de- and then denouncing them. What we get more often than anything, um, the, the, the evidence is very thin anyway, but what we get is um, 
a condemning of coercive relationships, typically between between a, a rich older man, um, a high society type, owning younger boys, catamites, uh, uh, um, for the sake of their sexual gratitude. And so we get Paul in First Corinthians. We get First Timothy. Um, some very very thin evidence of of condemning those behaviors. But what those behaviors were in the first century uh, are not what we see today. Mm-hmm. So if you want to condemn uh, homosexual acts between two men that have to do with coercion, I would say the Bible rightly condemns that, but says nothing about, um, for instance, a loving monogamous relationship. Yeah. Anything you say, Cody? Yeah, um, well... Um... I guess my first question would be, you, I would assume, I think I know how you'd answer this, but I wanted to clarify it. Um, would you distinguish between advocating for like um, what's understood to be like a biblical kind of heteronormative sexual ethic on the one hand and like weaponizing the Bible politically or in interpersonal relationships on the other, or just holding a more like traditional view necessarily make one hostile to LGBT people? Because I think some people on the left would say that it's like, it's necessarily kind of the same thing. Um, I wouldn't necessarily think it's the same thing. I would say you run the risk of of othering um, already oppressed and marginalized people when you have a certain view of the Bible. Um, and when you say traditional, I would push back on that and say uh, there's a lot of types of marriages in the Bible, especially in the Hebrew Bible, but maybe not even especially just in, in the ancient world. That is not what we would consider traditional in the church, uh, one man and one woman, for instance. I mean, you have a lot of um, the Hebrew patriarchs with many many women, many wives, and many concubines. Um, so I, I don't like using the word traditional personally, but no, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that you must, uh, you, you're like you're automatically being violent or oppressive if you don't affirm them. I think the whole thing's on a spectrum, if, if, that, if you follow me on that. You know, um, sorry, yeah. sorry, Cody. You, you know, so I watched a um recently. I watched a um. I guess it's a debate between two uh, LGBT affirming Christians, and on the other side there was um. I think it was James White and I forget the other guy's name, but you know, one of the things that really, I I guess it was kind. It was sort of persuasive for me. I just want to. I just want your uh feedback on it. So basically the argument was, is that even if you were to take the, the particular verb, the particular passage and, um, and Paul's and Paul's letters that allegedly speak of homosexuality, even if you were to, even if you were to say that, well, that isn't necessarily what it says. If you take into the cultural, if you take into, uh, take the cultural context into, into consideration, he, they basically argued that What's actually happening here is that even even if you take that every single time a homosexual and, and it's still a homosexual relationship, whether or not is you're dealing with a a man and a and a boy, they would say every single time homosexuality is condemned in any way, shape, or form, it's still condemned in scripture. If you feel what I'm trying, if you, if you get if you get the argument, so. They would say, well, yes, that is every single time homosexuality is spoken of, it's never spoken about in a positive way. It's always spoken of in a negative light when you in terms of scripture. Yeah, well, sure, but it's 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 highly anachronistic to to go back and say, well, what they meant was what we mean now. Because I I don't see, because I mean, according to the Oxford Classical Dictionary, to say someone had either a heterosexual or homosexual orientation is not advised. Like we, we, they, they weren't categorized in that way back then. This is more of a, of a modern phenomenon. That doesn't mean there weren't sexual acts between men or women. Of course there were, there's lots of literature. We know the Romans and the Greeks fairly well enough to say that um, there was a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. I, I just would have I would have an issue with saying that anything that what we see today is condemned. Mm-hmm. I would say it'd be more about promiscuity as being condemned rather than 
the parts that the people are working with. Hmm. Um, can I push maybe, well, I want to try to make it more, more inquisitive, but I do kind of have a question that's sort of pushed back, I guess. Um, so I, I, I think I've struggled a little bit to try to make sense of this argument um, that they didn't have a, that there was no sense of like orientation in the um, uh, kind of the Greco-Roman world. And some people have pushed back on the idea and said that there, there was, but um, even if we kind of grant that there wasn't, I'm still not sure how that's significant for the argument, because when we talk, you're talking about orientation, it seems to me that the argument, uh, it's kind of the classical um, Christian or argument about this isn't based on orientation, it's based on action. So sure. I guess what I might ask is, um, I mean, well, first of all, first of all, I, I would distinguish between the class, the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish world. Sure. Um, but, but even if we um, kind of grant all that or whatever, um, is is it even possible to imagine a way like, so for example, if Paul wanted to make a statement saying um, um, same sex acts are forbidden because of some uh, sense of natural law or how God has intended our bodies to be used or whatever, is there a way he could have said that? Um, or is it impossible in your mind for him to have said such a thing because they didn't have a view of orientation in the ancient world? Well, let me, let me just say if, if there was orientation in the world, I, I wouldn't necessarily care what Paul said in some sort of like overarching universalistic um, ethic in, in that way or what not to do and what to do. Because I think what Paul is doing in many of his letters is he's discussing very specific culturally relevant things that were happening in different churches. So whether that's the churches in Corinth, whether that's in Rome, um, whether he's talking to, to Timothy and, and giving advice there. Um, he's dealing with specific things that are going on. And, and, and I would never want to say that we must take all those things and apply them uh, universally because we're not greeting each other with a kiss. We're not covering, if we're women, we're not covering our heads, um, you know, so on and so forth. So a lot of these things that he's talking about um, are culturally relevant, whether, whether orientation was a thing back then or not. Secondly, um, unless you're familiar with the work of Douglas Campbell, this is probably going to be maybe something that you're not aware of. Um, I think I think Campbell has made the case that we're reading Romans uh, and probably other books of his or letters of his entirely wrong. So the, the passage in Romans 1, 26 and 27, um, it's Douglas Campbell's contention, and I agree, uh, but who am I? I'm not a Pauline scholar, but it, it's his contention that that is a rhetorical argument that is being made from agitators in the Roman church and in the church in Galatia uh, to that, that, that Paul did not understand the gospel. And so people from the Jerusalem church, what Paul would call the false brothers, are laying out this argument on why uh, the Gentiles need to take on Jewish markers in order to be included in, in you know, the gospel. And, and the way I understand it is all of Romans 1, uh, 18 through 32, is that rhetorical argument that then Paul counters in, in 2.1 with, therefore, those of you who have done the same things have, you know, you're condemned by your own logic, essentially. And so we have to be really careful because if Campbell's correct, um, then we're ironically using Paul's words and I put that in quote, which is really the argument Paul is arguing against. And, and, and he does, you know, uh, there's some of this um, in, in Corinthians as well, um, this technique called prosopopoia, which is this Greek rhetorical thing that you do wh where you basically, um, and Paul does it sarcastically, you put forth a, a summation of someone's argument and then you shred it to, to death. It's almost a reductio ad absurdum. Uh, we do this today. Um, if you give me a bad argument, instead of arguing your point, I'm going to take your point and I'm going to flesh it out so that you see the absurdity of it, which is, I think, what Paul is doing. So that's, I guess, the long-winded way of saying I would be very hesitant to use anything written in Paul's letters and apply them today. I'd be really hesitant to do that. It's not that we can't. I think they're useful. Mm -hmm. um, but all of Paul's letters are in a context, what's going on in Corinth? A lot of shrine prostitution, even John MacArthur admits that. Um, so some of these sexual things that not to do is in that context. What's going on in Rome? There's false teachers, as Paul would call them. What's going on in Galatian? 
uh, Galatians. Gal uh, Paul's very pissed off. <laughs> um, that letter is a very angry letter, and he's basically, you know, arguing against these false teachers. So there are certain things going on in all these churches that are very specific to that time and place. And I just think applying them to two dudes who fall in love and want to get married and do the same stuff that heterosexual people do, except they have the same parts, I think is just really, um, it's, it's been harmful, frankly. Well, so, yeah, so I, I, I think there's different issues there that are, that you can kind of tease out. So one is, is scripture inspired? Two is how do you apply it? Um, take it out of its own context and, and apply it to our, to our context today, because I mean, and then thirdly, um, you know, what are the results of that? And I think, um, so I don't want to say too much about Campbell because I, I, I've kind of tacitly, I know a little bit about that, um, but not in depth, but it would seem to me though, that if Paul, there's um, many other things that Paul lists um, in, in, in Romans one, uh, you know, being full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Yeah. And, and he does, you know, certainly it wouldn't be the case that I don't think that you're saying that Paul is saying, oh, all that's okay. And you shouldn't judge that. Um, no, no, I think that's, I think, I think pointing to any of those lists is beside the point. And because it, it, what you've got is you've got them sandwiched in between like, like what's going on. And he's quoting almost wisdom of Solomon 13 and 14. And he's got all these things that the, some of the Jewish Christians are saying about Gentiles. And then he's sandwiching in um, the things that the Jewish people are doing, the Jewish Christians as well to make this big list, I think, to say that all of you who are, the point is not the list. We The point is not what's listed specifically. It's to get everyone who's being judgmental and keeping other people out because of what they're doing to realize they're doing some of the same things on this list. Mm -hmm. So that's that. That's my understanding sure. of, of what's going on there. But but, but I, it would seem to me then, well, let me ask this just a question. Um, the way I've kind of always understood that is that Paul is saying, all of us are sinners, and so we shouldn't be sitting in judgment and saying who gets to be in and who gets to be out. But that doesn't mean that sin is a non-category. It can still be a thing that exists. It's just something that we should be that we shouldn't wield like a sword, considering it's double-edged. I mean, would would you say that's fair, or do you think that yeah. Paul is arguing against kind of moralizing in general? Well, maybe both. I mean, I think I would agree with you there. That I mean, at least at minimum, we can agree that whether you think something is sin or not. You know, we can even turn to Jesus' words, you know, look, worry about your own plank and not the speck um, in, in other people's eyes. So, yeah, I think we can both agree on that. You, you, you might not, not, not want to be so quick to judge other people's stuff because you're doing some of the same stuff. Um, and and maybe, maybe Paul is against um, some moralizing because the thing is, like, Paul came from a context of being like, I, I, I use this term loosely, like the perfect Pharisee, the perfect Jew. Like, as per the law, he was blameless. That's his own words. Um, so, but but then after his uh, Damascus Road event, realizes, well, all of that, I kind of missed the point. And I think the point was that no matter what we're doing, there's grace. Now, I think where we might part ways, obviously, is whether um, being gay or acting upon your gayness in a sexual way, whether that's a sin or not. I... I, I don't know. The evidence to me seems very, very thin. Maybe it comes down to how we define sin. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I, I have another question, but I don't want to take over for RE. Um, no, 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 you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> um, in particular, okay. So looking at first Corinthians six, nine and 10 in particular, um, you know, Paul is kind of giving this list of, of behaviors that he seems to think are, 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 you know, dangerous and detrimental and things that he would call sin. And there's this big debate that you detail in your book, um, which I think is just it's just called Heretic, right? There's a subtitle, but yeah, I wanted, there's a there's a long subtitle. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to, I wanted to plug it so people can pick well, it up. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Actually, I think it's only four bucks on Kindle right now. It so is anyway. right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so um, there's this big debate over these two words, uh, malakoi and arsenikoitai, um, and um, that's generally traditional. Well, uh, at least in English, traditionally been uh, translated to refer to homosexual behavior, right? Um, uh, and, since, since 1946. Yeah. Not before. Well, but I think even in the King James, you would say that it does at least apply, right? 
to homosexual behavior, even if we don't call, even if we use the word homosexual. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Um, how how were, how would you understand what it is that Paul is um, um, criticizing here? Because he is he is speaking of it negatively. I think you'd you'd agree with that, right? Yeah. Well, let me let me quote my favorite theologian, John MacArthur. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, no, I'm not going to quote him, but even he admits that, um, what's going on in, in Corinth is a lot of promiscu promiscuous, um, coercive shrine prostitution. If you want to condemn that, I have no problem with that. That's cool. I don't know what that technically in that context in Corinth has to do with two dudes who want to get married. I, I honestly, I like, I, it failed. I, I fail to understand how the two are related. Sure. Yeah. But I, I think that also depends on if you understand Malakoi and Arsinokoitai as specifically condemning that. Right. So if you if you if we agree that that's what it's condemning, then I, I would say, oh, yeah, that doesn't really have any relevance. To, it's kind of yeah. like um, I think even you mentioned this at one point, the whole appealing to the Sodom and Gomorrah passage in Genesis that doesn't really yeah. tell us anything in particular about homosexuality. It's, it's overused no. to try to make that point. Yeah, that's condemning gang rape, which totally cool. Yeah, yeah. Condem condemn that all you want. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I wanted, I wanted, I, I, started, I started to notice this. Um, it, se it seems if, it seems as if that the, um, it relies on, because I, I think that it's clear that scripture is, it, it affirms heterosexual uh heterosexual uh relationships but so so to me at least and, and and this is the thing i'm 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 agnostic on this issue i just i don't know i don't really even have a have a you know i don't really have a i, I just don't i really don't care at the end of the day but it's just a it's an interesting topic but i can see that there's clear indicate well clear evidence that scripture is affirming of heterosexual relationships but I don't see any instances of scripture being affirming of any form of homosexual relationships. And so to me, it just sort of seems like even if I were to take um, that uh, arsenokotai, that it doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean homosexual relationships It's almost still like you're just arguing. You're just arguing from a silent position that the Bible just doesn't really, you know, doesn't really say anything about it. Sure. I get that. I get that. I, I, I think a lot of these things, and I've made this point, I don't know where, um, but somewhere <laughs> I've made this point that all of these conversations trickle down, um, no matter what side you are on, to what is, what is it meant by the scriptures are inspired? How are we going to use the Bible? And see, to me, this is probably where we're going to part ways. I don't think that it's that it, it's going to cover necessarily everything, um, every letter of the law on what we are supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. I think there's an overarching meta narrative rather than a rule book for life. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think for one to go back to my original point, I think it's anachronistic to say it's going to talk about that. Just like it's it doesn't talk about quantum theory, it doesn't talk talk about um, you know all these kind of things that are later understandings. It, it doesn't talk about um, modern psychology. It doesn't talk about how to, uh, how to treat um, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, right? So all these modern understandings of human behavior and human psychology and human sociology, it doesn't necessarily get because it is a product of its time and place. Now, the way I see it being inspired is probably a lot different than maybe you guys do or other listeners who might think it's inerrant or infallible. I'm not saying you do, but if you do, um, or, or even if you do think that like, well, but how, I mean, how, how do we apply it? How do we apply these things to life? Um, I don't think the case is settled on how we apply it. And, and, and it all comes down to, to the Bible and how, and, and what we think the point of it is. Hmm. You know, so I just personally don't think it's a, well, if we're going to affirm something, we have to find it in the Bible somewhere. I, I just, I, I don't use it that way. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's the distinction that's being made that often is made between um, sola scriptura and solo scriptura, right? It's, it's not the traditional view of it or the Protestant view of it. It's not necessarily that everything that is worth believing you can find in scripture. It's just that scripture yeah. affirms the things, everything that scripture affirms is truthful in some sense, right? So um, um, let, let, let's just say that's for, a Protestant understanding. That may not be yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that's a pro yeah, that can be the Protestant understanding all you want, but yeah. so what? 
Um, so uh, in terms of um, because I, I know that Catholics they tend to do this a lot. They don't believe in sola scriptura. They they believe that it's okay to import, not well to utilize outside outside information in order to come to a a much a much whole I guess a, a, a an understanding of human sexuality because you know they'll they'll use like um they'll use arguments from um natural law to argue against like a homosexual a homosexual a homosexual ethic or affirming of lgbt things like that and so i'm not necessarily saying that i affirm sola scriptura per se but would it be something like that for you matt because Catholics, they'll say, well, we don't believe that we don't believe in scripture alone. Um, and so we employ this natural law argument for the, I guess, for the, for the, ba- basically, they'll say that the body is made for a purpose and it's designed for a, is designed for particular things. And because homosexual relationships don't fulfill particular qualifications which which would qualify for something to be uh moral or i guess to have i i guess they'll say that this doesn't qualify as something that is properly that is properly oriented towards the purpose that it was intended for and so they'll say that is the argument as to why like out of scripture ex scripture i guess that why we why we affirm uh heterosexual relationships and we condemn homosexual relationships yeah i mean that that seems to be a logic that's going to get you in a lot of problems i have friends who can't have kids i'm I'm assuming you mean by like procreation you know um yeah you know inseminating and and all that good biology um um i i have friends who can't have kids so are they not supposed to have sex um once you once you're done with menopause should women I mean, are, are, are the people who are saying that like not having sex? Well, um, I, guess, because- I guess they, I guess they would say that, well, it's not the very fact that like w- when it comes to a man and a woman and a woman that is, that's barren, they would, they would say, well, it's not prevent. You're not though that particular uh, union is not preventing the put this, the potentiality of producing a kid. It's just the very fact that the, that there's a, discontinuity in terms of the purpose of reproduction to begin mm-hmm. with so they would say that sex will still be permissible in that relationship it's just the very fact that it that there's a discontinuity in in her in her being but it's still mm-hmm. but it doesn't disqualify her from being from participating in a sexual union with a man wouldn't the argument be that reproduction is an evidence of a natural design so like when when you go to romans one and, and i know there's there's a debate that we haven't really cleared up about whether this is Paul's idea or whether he's challenging it. But on the face of it, it seems to be Paul's idea. Um, when he talks about women exchanging natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And I think if he's simply saying that, well, this doesn't happen in nature. Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that happen in nature, but I think he's appealing to a natural law mentality that if you look at the intention and design, you can see that there's a function. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't think you find anywhere, at least in the new, new world Testament, this idea that, um, procreation must follow from every act of sexual, you know, uh, every sexual act. But but, it, but we, it should be, but but it should be, it should be a potentiality. There, there's a logical connection between yeah, the okay. two. Yeah, the yeah. I I, I I don't know. I think that's um that's an odd appeal. I guess there's a, there's a lot of like I like yeah, like you just said. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in nature. There's like um, four thousand species that have homosexual relationships there's some species that that can change between male and female in order to to procreate i guess um and i just i i I think our human sexuality goes far far beyond what is um what we want to call natural order of things i mean Mm -hmm. our, our our human psychology is so much more we have so much more to understand um and and i would i would feel I would feel like kind of an a-hole if I told people who are gay that that what they're doing is unnatural, like what they feel is unnatural, what they've always known to be true is unnatural. I would be speaking out of turn. I don't know what it's like to be a gay man. Um, I I take it on on faith and trust my gay friends, and there are many of them, 
-hmm. that when they tell me that they are gay and they are attracted to men, that that and and, and it brings peace. They have peaceful relationships. They have loving relationships. Um, if you want to appeal to Paul, what is the fruit of their relationships? It's the same fruit that I have with my wife. And so this is, again, why I don't start with the Bible. I start with listening to them and I go, well, if we want to talk about what's natural, well, uh, our, what, what's naturally right should be the fruit of the spirit, should be all those things that Paul lists, all those wonderful things that Paul lists. And when I see it in gay relationships along with straight relationships and I say, wow, it's the same relationship, except they have different parts. That's what I, I got to trust them. I mean, I'd be, again, speaking really out of turn um, to, to just say, well, no, that's just not the order of things. That's not the way to get God designed it. I know what you feel, man. I know what you're feeling. I know you, you say you feel this love for this other man. And I know you, it brings peace to your life. And I know you have joy and I know you have you show each other mercy, but Hey, just mm -hmm. not natural, man. It's like, well, uh, that's, that I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time telling. And I'm that. and I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie to you. I do feel I do feel some type of way because it like because I have I have people who are gay in my family. Like it 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 really does feel it feels it feels weird and it feels bad when I have like I and and the, and the thing is I don't hold to that position, but I have heard people tell my gay friend or my gay or my gay cousin that what they are doing is unnatural and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good. So I can, I can understand that. Look, look, we're having a podcast broadcasting all over the States. That is like some of the most unnatural stuff I've ever seen. I mean, this is wild, <laughs> but, but I mean, but going back even further, it happens. So it's natural. A lot of stuff happens. I mean, I, I mean, I just, I don't understand the argument. What do you mean? Mm. It's not natural. It happens. Mm. Would, would you say that every natural proclivity though is necessarily, um, cause I feel like that was an argument that was traditionally offered that, well, if it's if it's natural, if it's not chosen, um, then that means it's acceptable. And it seems that there are a lot of things that uh, Paul and, and Scripture and, and just I think wisdom would tell us that we may have a natural inclination to do something. I mean, Genghis Khan had a natural inclination that's led to him yeah. being genetically related to most of the people in, in Asia. Mm -hmm. But um, does that mean that 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 was an okay thing? And, and I know that there's there are other standards we can use, but I would just say, uh, you know, we can discuss what standards can be brought in to determine those things, but. On the face of it, it seems to me that making an argument that something is natural is not enough to make an argument. Uh, well, it's not so, uh, an argument that's good, right? Yeah, I would. I would turn around and say the same thing about unnatural. I mean, yeah. I, so it it, yeah. it gets down like it, it sort of gets down to a point where I don't know exactly where to like where to where this would go because it seems like the like the foundation is sort of sort of sort of sandy, it's sort of shaky. So it's like okay, well. If we cannot, like, what do we appeal to? Do we, like, if we, if we don't appeal to scripture first, mm -hmm. but then if we don't appeal to some form of a, like, of a law of causality in, or something like that, if we don't appeal to something that could, that we could, like, look to as, like, this thing that grounds what we believe, then it's like, well, how do, how do you, how do we come to, how do we come to the, come to the agreement that this is wrong. You, you, you see what I'm trying to say? I, I see what you're trying to say. Um, well, I wouldn't want to come to the agreement that it's wrong. <laughs> but, well, well, yeah, it, I know you're saying. Anything. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, in the Christian tradition, we have the Holy spirit and I, I think the Holy spirit is oriented toward forgiveness and grace and mercy and empathy and compassion. And when we have compassion on people without labeling, I think, I think a big part when Jesus says, do not judge, I think a lot of that, and I got this from Richard Rohr, is do not label. So I would, I would, I would say to the people who don't affirm uh, LGBTQ, is stop labeling them for a second and just listen, just listen, hmm. and 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 don't don't place a judgment on it, right or wrong, good or bad. Um, just be there with them without judging, and 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 be compassionate and um, listening. Uh, open your ears and shutting your mouth a little bit, like. Um, Kind of like what white people need to do when it comes to racism. Like we do too much talking and not enough listening. Like straight people need to do less talking and more listening to LGBTQ folks and listen to what their life is like. And I think when the Holy Spirit guides you, it'll be it'll guide you uh, more towards being compassionate and empathetic and and understanding. And and I think it's important. I think that's important. And 
I don't think I don't think the Bible should be the the measuring stick because even if even if we agree that the Bible was a measuring stick, it still raises the question: How do we interpret the Bible? Um, how, how are we interpreting? How are we exegeting the scriptures? Um, you know, using Jacques Derrida's work, we got to deconstruct what we mean by the Bible. Hmm. Because even if we again, we can all say the Bible all the time. We can proof text. We can throw that throw out verses like people do on social media and just say well here's the bible sir and it's like well you haven't said anything you quoted a verse that we've all read hmm. but we're approaching it differently so now we have to have that conversation so yeah how do you oh go ahead cody go ahead cody. Uh, sorry you go ahead Ari. no well okay how do you how do you because it really does get down to a, a much more fundamental issue to me at least like even if you do have the holy spirit to lead you to guide you into truth well obviously like i would say cody cody is an annihilationist and i'm a universalist who like who who is being who is being guided by the holy spirit there because we we would both say we both have the holy spirit so it's like how do you determine like when the holy spirit is guiding you into truth and when it's just your own brain that's affecting some like inf like that's affecting your interpretation of a particular scripture so it's just like yeah. it's like it's just it's just like theological chaos in a sense yeah. i don't see i don't see a, a logical through line by which we can determine a, an objective understanding of scripture well you're a universalist so you would be and no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i'm playing um no i don't i don't know if our i don't know if that has to do with doctrine i think our um I, I, you know, I think our doctrines come from our intellect. Um, I think our, our doctrines come from uh, maybe the ego. Um, and and it's fine to have doctrines. Just hold your, I mean, I'm of the belief you need to hold your doctrines loosely. But mm -hmm. I, I think that's missing the point. Um, we can have our doctrines, but I don't think the Holy Spirit necessarily leads us to like, this is the doctrinal truth. You have to affirm this atonement theory or this eschatology or this and that. Um so, but I think, I think a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit works is in John 20, when the disciples are in the upper room and Jesus, the, uh, you know, the, the, the risen Jesus, the risen Christ comes to them and breathes out the Holy Spirit on them in the context of forgive others as I'm forgiving you preemptively. This is our orientation towards others. This is when we're led by the Spirit. A lot of people say, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this and the Spirit told me to do that. And it's like, does it have, does it look like the risen Christ in John 20? Mm -hmm. Um, our doctrines might be kind of beside the point what we conclude. Mm. Um, you know, I know a lot of great, uh, Greg Boyd's an annihilationist. I love, I love that guy. I love his work. I don't agree, mm -hmm. but that's, but I don't know if that has to do with necessarily the Holy Spirit leading us. I think that has to do with, I have better uh, um, exegetical arguments. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I do think, um, I mean, method has to come in here, right? Because, when I, when I listen to what you say, Matt, I, I try to listen carefully so I understand. I ask questions for clarification. Sure. And that assumes that um, that I can understand what you're saying. And I think, you know, Scripture is a book. It's, it communicates through language. Um, and human language is, you know, not always as um, clear as we want it to be, either because, uh, well, often because of, you know, a problem in, in, the, in the mind of the receiver, but also sometimes the hearer can use language that... Uh, well, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's, there's a certain, it's, it's not perfect, I guess, but it's good mm -hmm. enough for us to do quite a bit. I mean, if you, you know, it, it was good enough for us to figure out how to communicate with each other and split the atom. Um, sure. it was, it's, it's good enough for, you know, me to order something on Amazon and get it, you know, the next day. Um, so I think, you know, we, we have to have, I think a view of language that it's useful and, and it can, I think, you know, get us there. We can communicate with each other, understand each other, but we also have to acknowledge that it's possible for us to, uh, misunderstand or to uh, hear something, uh, well, hear what we want to hear, right? Um, and so I, I think that, you know, uh, a hermeneutical method is important, but I, I, I wouldn't want to say, and I don't think you're saying, but um, there have been a couple of times, especially as I've read some of the things you've written, where uh, it, it seemed to suggest that you were, um, you, were, you were very pessimistic about our ability to understand, um, you know, what scripture was saying in, in some place or another. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's the case in a lot of places. Peter admits that some of Paul's writings are very difficult to understand. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, that's just that that's just me being, I think, honest with myself. Like some of it is difficult to understand. Sure. I, I will say, though, that I believe Jesus did have a hermeneutical pattern. And so did Paul. 
And I think we can see that. The, and I write about this in my books. And when you see those patterns, you see a lot of violence being eliminated, grace being emphasized, the, the unwrathing of God. And I know Paul talks about wrath, but um, again, that's in Romans. So that's probably a longer discussion. <laughs> but so, but you do get a hermeneutical pattern um, right off the bat in Luke 4 uh, that I talk about in my books. But yeah. yeah. Well, well, uh so uh, assuming that we, we do think scripture can tell us something and that we have a high view of inspiration or whatever. Um, and, and like I said, you, you could always just sort of come back and say, well, you know, I don't really care what Paul says. He's wrong. Right. But assuming I, I, I don't, I try not to do that. Yeah. No, but yeah. yeah. But, but, but assuming you don't do that. Right. Yeah. Um, um, if we look at, for example, so we kind of talked about Romans a little bit and I don't know enough to get in enough about Campbell's argument to, to be able to get into it, but um so, but but if we go back to maybe First Corinthians um, six, nine, and ten, um, I don't know if you, at the top of your head, if you remember the arguments that you made about these two terms that get thrown in Malakoi and Arsenikoitai, but I think that they could be useful for trying to figure out how Paul uh, is looking at this, and and it's also very possible that I'm just wrong about that, and that Paul's talking about something else entirely. But but I wanted to kind of get your perspective on what was going on there. Oh, I think um, I don't remember exactly specifically what I. Um what I wrote in heretic, um, but it is only $4 on Kindle. So you can go find out yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think what, what Paul is, is talking about is um, that, I mean, you got this term arsenal koitai. It may be a hopox legomenon. Is that how you say it? Like it's only used once Hepa, or it might be. The, yeah. Yeah. Whatever that term is um, <laughs> where it's like, but it's like men and to bed, right? Something like that. And he's putting these terms together. Um, yeah, I think the context there is is older, older, rich men um, having catamites, which are slave boys, and yeah. and and this prostitution context, um, and he's condemning that uh, that act, those acts. No, is your argument there because it's paired with malakoi, which means soft, and it's kind of. Effeminate. Yeah, it's yeah. difficult to determine it, but I think it sometimes has been used in re in re regard to catamites, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I would be Malakoi because I'm clean shaven. Can't that isn't that what that term kind of means? Um, yeah. uh, David Bentley Hart in his New Testament translation translation has arsenokoitai as um, pedophilia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I like he, he's a he's a he's a fluent Greek scholar. I'm not. I'm I'm going right. off the. I mean, so. So it kind of comes down to who do we trust as scholars? Because this is a, I'm not fluent in Greek. I'm, I'm going off the scholars yeah. whom I respect. Um, you might have different lists of scholars that you respect, and and, well, and, and you know. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know that I'd appeal to scholars so much, but I would I would um, I, I you know I'd pull up something like Bible Works, I guess, and I would look up the word, and I'd say, okay, this word only shows up in First Timothy and in First Corinthians, um, and you know you can also read elsewhere that Paul seems to be the first to use it. But it's a compound word, right? Sure. Uh, arsenos and koite, uh, koitain rather. Um, and those two words appear right next to each other in Leviticus twenty thirteen. Yeah, and and, and so that and, yeah, and that's an interesting one because in Leviticus twenty thirteen you have you have uh, the the uh, the prohibition for an ish and as a car lying together. And as some of my Mark Stone, one of my Hebrew scholar friends talks about to me, I've talked to him on email um, and I forget the exact argument here because it's been a while since I've really um, dove into this stuff. But what you have here is basically a prohibition for an uncle not to have sex with a nephew, for a grandfather not to have sex with a grandson. I mean, he doesn't use a man and a man. He uses an ish and a zakar. Um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I'm, again, appealing. And, and, and Philo yeah. or Philo, Philo even uses this term. And and he refers back to the fact that arsenokoitai um, is is prostitution, is shrine prostitution with with underage boys. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so so if you want to appeal to the Levitical, Levitical passage, that is even in the context of not ha it's not necessarily two men, uh, random men. It's 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 uncle nephew. It's uh, it's 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 grandfather grandson. It's that context. That's what's being condemned in the Levitical passage. Yeah, so I mean, Zakar is sometimes used to refer to young men, but it's it's actually just kind of a catch-all word for males. Um, and 
There are other places in Leviticus that talk about various incestuous relationships, but a word like uncle isn't used there. Um, no, no whether, I think that was just an example, not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether or not they're talking about temple prostitution, I'd almost, I'm kind of trying to look through Leviticus 18 real quick and see if there's any indication of that. For the most part, uh, it seems to have, there seems to be a lot of discussion of incest, but also of other kinds of, you know, not having sex with your neighbor's wife. Uh, there's a uh, reference to uh, sacrificing your children to Molech, so that could have some kind of a connection, possibly. Um, but I think it's—I'd have to say—I think it's probably inserting something into the context that isn't necessarily clear. Um, if you're just kind of looking at the words as they are. Um, but yeah, okay. Anyway, so I, I, I'm just—I yeah, was kind of curious to, see, to kind of read through what, what you thought there. But it seems that Paul probably has in mind whatever, basically however you'd understand his reading of Leviticus 18 and 20 would probably tell you what he has in mind in first Corinthians six and first Timothy and, 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 and what was going on in Corinth, which was a lot of shrine prostitution. So, so, I, I... so Cody, um, let's just, let's just say, um, like Matt's arguments for, like, uh, for the particular passage, Arsenokotai and, uh, and Paul's and Paul's letter. Mm -hmm. And then there's good reason to believe like, um, all of those those particular things in Leviticus twenty two, I believe, um, eighteen and twenty, eighteen and twenty, mm -hmm. right? All of those things. Let's just say Matt is right about all of those things. Now, I don't think that gets you to a point. <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily think that that gets you to a point of affirming homosexuality per se. I just think it would get you to a point where scripture is is kind of silent on that particular on that particular thing so if we were operating underneath that that assumption then how would you move forward with that per se well i guess i'd struggle with the idea that scripture is silent because i think you start with genesis 1 and you have what, what i guess i'd call a heteronormative viewpoint mm -hmm. um jesus seems to affirm when he talks about marriage the genesis 1 idea um, and then I guess if we leave up first Corinthians six and first Timothy one, and we say that Paul isn't really uh, what we read in Romans one, isn't really Paul's opinion, but he's, I, well, I would challenge all of those ideas, <laughs> but, but, but I guess if you were to say that you take out all the explicit passages, I think there's still a pretty strong natural law argument to be made. I think from my perspective, I mean, emotionally, I would rather just be able to say that there's nothing um, to challenge it. Right. Because, you know, I, I've got gay friends I care about and, and, and I and, you know, I would also distinguish like, you know, uh, here is, you know, here is what Christians are called to because we're called to, um, uh, you know, carry our cross and, and, and follow Jesus regardless of the cost. Mm -hmm. um, so I would distinguish that on one hand from like using uh, scripture, like to bludgeon people politically or like as an excuse to like, you know, kick your kids out of the house when they come out to you as gay or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I so you know, that all being said. Um, I still think that there, you know, emotionally, I would rather believe that there's, 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 there's not an issue there, but I think, I think scripture is pretty consistent on it. I think, uh, you know, conservative scholars would certainly say that I think, um, non-conservative scholars who aren't, um, trying to kind of hold on to some kind of a progressive view of Christianity, I think would generally also acknowledge that that's what scripture says. Hmm. Um, I think most secular scholars would say that is basically what it's saying. Um, so and, and I would like to agree that, 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 that it's not really saying anything at all. But I do think there's a natural law argument that's pretty strong. Um, and I also think scripture is saying something different. Um, but but if, if I wanted to make an argument and scripture said nothing, I would probably appeal to the natural law argument. Well, what, what would be uh, the natural law argument for you? The natural law argument is that there's an intention in creation um, that can be, that, that I think is apparent when you look at reproduction and the way that sexual organs are meant to be used together. And that mm -hmm. suggests an intention for sexuality. Um, so if you believe that there's a God who intended, who created and had an intention for creation, I think you would, you could make that argument. Now, of course, as, as we said, there are things, there are people that do things all the time, people that have all kinds of inclinations that we wouldn't necessarily say are good just because they have them. Mm -hmm. um, so my natural argument isn't that, well, if it's done, it's natural. My argument is that there's an intention in creation. So um, specifically in, in terms of that, do you think, and I think this would get down to, because I, 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 I would believe that we, at least at, you know, on, on the surface level, we assume some form of like, 
morality can be um, is accessible apart from revelation from scripture. So I I knew that I knew that murder was wrong before I ever read scripture. Like maybe you you maybe you access moral truths through your culture or whatever whatever it may be. We understand that apart from scripture, we can we can perceive or we can um, comprehend moral truths, right? So in terms of your, in terms of the, the, nat- the natural law uh, argument, do you think that it's even possible that God could, God could have in scripture, God could have said, well, I know what natural law could, I know what the natural law would say, but here's what I say. Like, do you think that's even possible or that's even consistent or that yeah. it could be consistent? Yeah. So I don't know if I exactly talk about natural law. Well, well I mean, I guess yeah, God has an intention creation that there's this kind of, uh, I think Aquinas maybe has this idea of the two books, the, the book of nature and the book of scripture, yeah. a general revelation and a supernatural revelation. Um, oh, or, or, or wait, wait, or, thing like this. Um, would you even, would you even assume that intention implies like, like intention implies morality per se? Like maybe it is, maybe it is the case, maybe it is the case that God did had have this intention for um, sexuality, but does the intention or the telos of um, of of the sexual of the of of sexuality does it necessitate some form of a moral of a moral dimension to it? Um, I don't know if it necessitates. Well, I, I guess there is there. So, so I would say that there specifically when you're talking about heterosexual sex where well i think in general too when you're talking about sexuality because it has a tendency to um create emotional bonds that can be um very uh, painful when they're broken but i think if you want to talk about specifically the, the result of of you know normal heterosexual sex of you know childbearing um i think you you sort of have this issue where if you want to try to hold to a, a, a sort of a disconnection of sexuality with um, morality, then you're going to have a lot of kids who are raised by single moms who are hurt by that detrimentally, um, and also mothers who are hurt by that. And so I think that there is a connection between sexuality and morality in that way. And so I think that that has to do with the intention that, in which God created humans to mm. use their sexuality. Um, but I, I do think, though, that there are sometimes things where God calls us to something beyond um, what would be like a natural ethic. So um, in particular, something like, um, uh, you know, so I'm a Christian pacifist. And I think that, that Christ calls us to that, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that um, we can do because we believe that God has a purpose and that this life is not the only life. So that if we forfeit our life here, um, there's, a, there's an eternal life that we inherit. Um, and I think, in addition, I think that's also a pretty good argument for, uh, against people who want to make um, my sexual fulfillment in this life, um, a, a primary thing, you know, um, there's as much as we kind of want to talk about, you know, how all human beings, are, you know, should find fulfillment in, in sexuality. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I mean, I think, you know, if you can do it, there's something beautiful in it. Um, but that's not like entirely what we're made for. That's not the purpose, uh, mm-hmm. for which each individual is brought into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which, which I think, you know, in addition, that, that's one thing I really have an issue with um, when, because I think in the West, our churches are so individualistic and we really kind of leave people on our own, on their own. And yet we also sort of tell people um, maybe who are struggling with same sex sex attraction or whatever. Um, well, you know, you're on your own. You're not allowed to fulfill this, this desire. And I think if, if we could be more of a fan, I, anyway, I think there's something hypocritical in telling somebody uh, you can't fulfill this desire for intimacy and so now you're on your own. Like, I think if the church was doing its job, we could live together and, and not necessarily, you know, and be fulfilled without necessarily having to find sexual fulfillment all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, man. I ran a little bit there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I, so well, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, my only thing on the last thing you said is it's, it's probably easy for you to say as someone who is not of the LGBTQ community that, you know, it, you are heterosexual. You aren't, you are not going to be ostracized by your community. 
and you can go. I mean, to, to me, I maybe I'm misinterpreting you. You're telling people who have been oppressed because of their sexuality. Well, you're not just made for that. Well, I would say, yeah, it's easy for you to say. <laughs> if I were a gay man, I, I sure. I, I don't know. That just well, that just smacked of um, uh, privilege to privilege. me. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, that's, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty bad word nowadays. Uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I follow that. Um, I've been really interested as I've, and I know this, I'm, I, I want to be careful with how I bring this up because I'm not making an equation because I see these things as very different, but there's been a lot of um, uh, research and a lot of information, a lot of stuff in the literature about how, um, uh, you know, pedophilic attraction is something that might not be chosen, right? And so are, are we going to say that those people shouldn't be able to find sexual fulfillment? I would say that we kind of have to, right? And so that doesn't mean that these, it's exactly the same thing and we should treat it the same way. That's not at all what I'm saying, but I'm saying that, you know, and then there's also, of course, the question of people who maybe don't find a partner, you know, right? So on one level, yes, I, I'm privileged because it's a choice that I could make if I wanted to, um, but there are also people who maybe aren't in that position. And I think they're supposed to find fulfillment in Christ and find fulfillment in the body of Christ. And that's supposed to be enough. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, aside from the slippery slope fallacy, um, that's not what I'm arguing. I'm not arguing. For no, slippery. I know, but people do. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. I, again, I would, I would, I would be very hesitant to tell people who are finding fulfillment in a same-sex, same-gender relationship that oh, you can go find more fulfillment or all your fulfillment in Christ. Well, again, like. I, yeah, I can find all my fulfillment without being married to my wife, but I feel totally fulfilled with my wife. So if a dude and a dude or two women uh, are finding sexual fulfillment with each other, I don't know what that has to do with um, the fact that, yeah, I mean, find joy in Christ also. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that's why I, I talked about how emotionally I would much rather be able to say, well, there's no not a problem here because I, I don't I don't feel good about saying to somebody who feels lonely um, but also wants to follow Christ um, and is in a same-sex attracted. Well, you know, yeah. I, I, think this, I think this is what Scripture says about this. Now, I'm not. Don't, going... you, don't you think that? Is, don't you think that is evidence of something? Like something deep inside your core of being that's like I want to affirm these two people, but I just can't because well, either the Bible or the parts don't work. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry for like kind of no, no, uh, hyperbolizing hyperbolizing your your view. Yeah, no, but that, that's a fair question, hyperbole or not. Um, not because I think there are other things that I would like to be true but I have to admit they're not true. So like I said, I've come to a view on Christian pacifism that's very uncomfortable for me to hold emotionally. Uh, but it's what I think scripture says. <laughs> so that's kind of where I am, you know? Mm. Okay. Yeah, fair, fair enough. This is, this is a good, look, this is the best discussion I've had yet on my on my podcast. So I really appreciate both of you guys coming in. It was, I, I, I actually, I mean, I don't think anybody's mind was just, was changed today, but I really do believe that this was this was a really good conversation, and I'm I still remain agnostic on the whole on the whole issue. To be honest, Script, scripturally, I guess, um, more so on the on the the teleological argument for sexuality for sexuality, I'll probably I'd probably side with that more so. But even then, yes, I still have I I still would have the I, it would make me very uncomfortable to uh, to not. To, to tell someone that yo this goes against this goes against you know this goes against nat this goes against nature i so i would i would believe that it makes me uncomfortable to tell somebody that and i probably would never and i probably wouldn't i i really wouldn't and 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 the thing is is that i i guess the reason why i don't really speak about this that much is because it makes me <laughs> because it makes me uncomfortable because i know for a fact that um you have some you have some you have people on this side who are going to be absolutely straight up dogmatic about it and they're not loving in terms of in terms of how they present it but then you have people on this side who i think they just like it's it's, it's never like people are in the middle it's like people have have to always go absolutely to the fringes and so it's all. It just always makes me a little bit uncomfortable to have the situation, and so I was extremely uncomfortable having this situation, uh, having this conversation. But I really do thank you guys that you guys came on the show. That I I actually believe that it was productive and it was cordial. So Cody Cook, Matthew De Stefano. I'm sorry, it's it's a hard name. It's, those Italian hey. names. Hey. <laughs> Sicilian. Sicilian. 
<laughs> Sicilian, Sicilian. Yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah, I read, go. Giles had said that Matthew DeStefano wins, and I thought that would be a good book title for Rob Bell, a new Rob Bell book, Matthew DeStefano wins. <laughs> uh, Matt, Matt, I hope that it was Coral. Did you feel like I was I was uh, too aggressive or anything? I know that you no. realized when this started that I had uh, uh, put out a podcast uh, countering some things that were on Heretic Happy Hour, your, your podcast, and I hope you didn't well, feel it was coming to attack you or anything. No, I, I did not feel attacked at all. Um, I thought it was cordial, even though I, I disagreed with you. And um, yeah, I thought, so I thought it was great. Great. Well, hey, thanks I, for talking to me. So now, now I think so. I've talked to you. I've talked to Keith. Uh, it's been a while since I've listened here to Capiar, but I think Jamal Javanji's on there still, right? No, so, actually, Jamal Jamal has left, and we have um, we have a New Testament scholar named Katie Valentine, and oh, wow. uh, she would love to tell her her. Um, Dissertation was on Paul and sexuality, so oh. uh, the good doctor can uh, can talk to you if she feels like she wants to. And Derek Day as well, well is on there. Okay. Well, I want to do the whole kind of heretic happy hour trading cards. I want to collect them all. Oh, you got it, man. You guys have it. trading cards? <laughs> no, but but we do have a uh, board game coming out. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, I yeah. got it. I got to purchase it's, it. Yeah, it's it's like it's gonna be like shoots and ladders. I don't remember if you end up in heaven or hell, but one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, well, guys, that, that was about a good. That was about an hour, and you we only agreed to like 30, 45 minutes, so we went over a little bit, but that's fine. That's and so, um, Matthew, thank you for coming on. Cody, thank you, thank you for coming on. Um, hope we hopefully we'll have you on again eventually. Um, next time we'll probably have on. The other half of Fell Kingdoms, he's just not here right now. And so this is how this has been the uh Fell Kingdoms podcast with Matthew DeStefano and Cody Cook. We were talking about is homosexuality a sin? It's not. Matthew Matthew says it's not. Cody says yes. I say I don't know. So <laughs> we'll leave it, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there until next time. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks, yes, Matthew. Sir.